Welcome to the Voices of Freedom podcast. My name is Alex, and our heart behind creating this podcast is to present you fully mature in Christ, as the Apostle Paul says. We desire that our messages would encourage you, strengthen your walk with Jesus, and equip you to be able to walk the Christian faith out free, as we're called to be in Galatians. We desire most of all that all of the content we put out would be spirit-led, telling the story that God wants to tell, rather than the story that we want to tell. You can turn to the 96th Psalm. I'm, I'm going to be in several places. You who from time to time hear us teach know that we, we're going to give you a lot of scripture. Uh, but Psalms 96 defines a life that lives under the influence of the fear of the Lord. And we're also going to talk about three individuals who was exposed to the presence of God and the fear of the Lord had an impact on their lives. And then we're going to look at several other scriptures that help us to give some definition to the fear of the Lord. But here's the thing. The fear of the Lord is actually undefinable. We, we do not have vocabulary. There, there is not sufficient human vernacular and vocabulary for you and I to define and unpack and adequately understand the fear of the Lord. Here are things that I know about the fear of the Lord. It is finite. It is all striking. It is deeply reverential. It has holy regard for the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It has deep, deep holy affection for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It has deep respect for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And more than anything else, it acknowledges and surrenders to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the fear of the Lord, if we were to define it, it would be Calvary. Amen. It would be the cross because not only does it cause sin to bow and Satan to bow and self to bow, but it creates a new creation in Christ, the fear of the Lord. And so we're going to read 96 Psalm and just look at the fruit of the fear of the Lord first. I thought I would share that in case I teach tonight and you don't know what I was talking about or where I was trying to get to. Uh, we'll go to the end of the journey first, and we'll come back. Psalms 96, there's 13 verses, and these 13 verses, they define the fruit of a life lived under the influence of the fear of the Lord. We're going to read 4, 5, and 9 first, and then we're going to read the whole psalm. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. That's the substance of the fear of the Lord. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Can you say that with me? Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. He's not talking about gods that he's in competition with because there is no other God except him. He's talking about the gods that men build and men resurrect. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Verse 9 Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness and tremble before him all the earth. That's the fear of the Lord. Now we're going to look beginning in Psalm, in Psalm the first verse of this psalm. 
And we're going to begin to see what's unpacked here. A life, a life lived. This is the fruit of a life lived in the fear of the Lord. Before we start looking specifically at the fear of the Lord, this is what this life will look like. And it begins with a life that's filled with a new song. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. We're a new creation. We have a new heart. We have a new spirit. We sing a new song. And that new song comes from the fear of the Lord. And we'll see that as we navigate through other passages of Scripture. So there's a new song. But not only is there a new song, you'll notice here, sing to the Lord, bless, first of all, he says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. You see the content the content of the new song is the salvation of God. And we're going to see in just a few moments, the content of our conversations should be the salvation of God. In fact, the more we live under the influence of the fear of the Lord, the less our conversation regarding sin and self and Satan and worldliness begins to exist in our vocabulary. In fact, our vocabulary is full of him. And we'll find those things begin to diminish. Just think about your conversation today. Your conversation today, the conversations you had with your spouse, the conversations you had with people that was in your life. Think about your conversations and how much of that was absent, absent of the salvation of God. But when we live under the influence of the fear of the Lord, the only thing that's in our conversation is him. Amen. What did Jesus do? Three and a half years, his converse, I say only those things. I hear my father say, I do only those things I see my father do. Jesus lived under the constant influence, the effect and the impact of the fear of his father. Not fear of his father in that he was afraid of him, but reverence, respect, all of the glory of who his father was and what his father had sent him to do. Amen. That, that's what I want my life to be like. How, do you want your life to be like that? A new song. Oh, what's the new song? It's a song that's sung to the whole earth. Whether I'm in Starbucks, whether I'm in McDonald's, whether I'm here, whether I'm riding down the road, new song. Amen. Blessing the earth. Hallelujah. Sing to the Lord and bless his name and tell of his salvation from day to day. And here he starts something. Declare his glory among the nations. And look at the declaration here of the fear of the Lord. Here's the declaration of what the fruit of the fear of the Lord talks about. We talk about his glory. Mm. We talk about his glory among the nations. For the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Not your glory, not my glory, not your gifting, not my gifting, not your calling, not my calling, but the glory of God. He'll not share his glory with another. It belongs to him and him alone. We're in awe. We're in awe. Read the book of Luke and Mark marveled, amazed, awe. Circle those things. Every time they saw the, the Lord Jesus do something, they were in fear, awe, amazed. When was the last time I was amazed? Hallelujah. And so listen, they declare his glory. Secondly, they declare his marvelous works among the people. Third, they declare his greatness. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. A people that live under the influence of the fear of God, they declare his glory. They declare his marvelous works. They declare his greatness. What is not present in this environment of the fear of the Lord? What do you not see here? You do not see self. You only see him. Mm 
Mm. Hallelujah. We spend a lot of time navigating through our life of self. A lot of conversations about our struggles and our warfares and our conflicts and all the things that's going on in our life. Just think what would happen if we spent all that time and all that energy talking about him. Talking about his salvation and his greatness and his power and his works and his glory. All of a sudden you forget about yourself and all you can talk about is him. Hallelujah. I can assure you this, if, if you stand around me very long, we're going to talk about two things, deer hunting and the word. <laughs> two things. And somehow we'll get deer hunting and the word married in there together. That should be what's in our, when people run into you immediately, oh man, here comes Austin. We're going to talk about the greatness of God. We're going to talk about the marvelous works of God. Man, he fears God. He's not afraid of God. He has all of God, respect for God, reverence for God. He understands the holiness of God. And it becomes contagious and convicting, amen, to those that you engage. Do you see where we, we veered off? We veered off at, the, at that little fork in the road. We're in a culture that's narcissistic. And we've allowed the gospel to become eisegetic. We read ourselves into everything. Quit looking for yourself in the Bible and look for Jesus. Amen. Quit trying to read every scripture and finding you and your answer and yourself. And look in the word and find him. Because if you find him, you'll find yourself because you're in him. Amen. And the truth is, he's in you. That's why we don't have to come here and work his presence up. You brought him here tonight. He's in you. He's not only on you, he's in you. All you have to do is learn how to engage him mm. through worship and the word and prayer and fellowship. So declare his glory, declare his works, declare his greatness. And here's why the fear of the Lord wanes. For the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The reason the fear of the Lord wanes is because we spend our time worshiping our worthless idols. Mm. And, and we'll let you define what your idol is. Maybe the Holy Spirit will touch some of those idols tonight. But there's worthless idols in our life. There's only one God. Amen. And he will not share his glory with idols in any of our lives, no matter how many Freedom Fridays we show up to or how many church services we, we attend. He will not share his glory with your idol. Are, are you with me? You tracking with me? That doesn't mean he doesn't love you, but he loves you enough to chasten you and say, you don't love me as much as you love that idol because you talk about that idol a lot more than you talk about me and you spend more time with that idol than you spend with me. Am I talking to anybody tonight? Amen. And then he says, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Oh, hallelujah. Ascribe to the Lord, O family of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come to his courts. Worship the Lord with splendor of holiness. Tremble with before him all the earth. Listen to these verses. 
Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Listen to this. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt. Even the field we're parked in back here and everything in it. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in faithfulness. The fear of the Lord impacts individuals. It impacts nations and it impacts all, it impacts all of creation. When the fear of the Lord is present, everything is impacted. Amen. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Hallelujah. He created this. It's abused because man worships their idols. But the, the fruit of the fear of the Lord is it impacts individual lives. It impacts nations. And it impacts creation. All of creation groans and travails, Romans chapter 8, to be set free, to be set free from the bondage of corruption. Amen. And so I want us to understand that tonight. This is a life. This is what the fear of the Lord looks like. This is the fruit of the fear of the Lord in the life of someone who engages that fear. Now, let's just for a moment, I'm going to be in Malachi 3, 16 and 17. But before we go there, let me talk about three people. Not three people here, so don't. I've seen some of you get real tight real quick when I said that. Three people that, that engage the fear of God. The first one was Moses. 40, 40 years, Moses was well-educated, well-educated. He was heir to the throne of Egypt. He spoke fluently both Hebrew and Egyptian. He kills a man. He has to run for his life. He, he goes to Midian. He, he marries Jethro's daughter. He spends 40 years caring for another man's flock of sheep in the desert, in the wilderness. He becomes illiterate where he now talks with a stammer. He can't even speak clearly. And on his way to the backside of the desert, he's going to encounter something that will prepare him to touch a nation. He's going to encounter the fear of God. Hallelujah. He's, he's, he's leading this flock of sheep. And as he's leading this flock of sheep, and listen, burning bushes were not uncommon. Desert had fires, and there were burning bushes all the time. But there was something different about this burning bush. And the scripture says, Moses in Exodus 3, if you want to know where it's at, Exodus 3, he turned to look at the bush, and when he turned to look at the bush that was on fire, it spoke to him. Now, just that in itself would have me think, I've been in this wilderness way too long. I've been out here for 40 years you know, there was something in the stuff that they sent out here. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I would have a little question. But God spoke to him. And here's what I want you to understand. There was not this amazing transformation that took place in Moses' life. There was something that happened in Moses' heart. God says to Moses, take off your shoes. <laughs> I mean, he didn't tell him to take anything else off. And, and there was terra firma all around Moses. Why here? Because you're standing in my presence. You take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. 
Hallelujah. His encounter with the fear of the Lord caused him to take his shoes off. And here's what I want you to understand. I think we've ceased to take our shoes off. We've ceased to be in awe, reverence, deep respect, the absolute lordship of the presence of God. Moses lived with his shoes off of his feet. From that moment, he understood what it meant to live in the presence of the holiness of God. And even when Moses begins to dialogue, there's no point in this scripture where it says Moses put his shoes back on his feet. He was standing on holy ground. The second man's Joshua. Joshua's preparing to go into the land. He's going to do war. Israel's never been a nation of war. This is the first time they're going to do warfare. They're about to cross the Jordan River. Jericho's sitting in front of them. The angel of the Lord has appeared to him. And the captain of the Lord of hosts says this to Joshua. Joshua says, what am I going to do? He said, well, the first thing you're going to do is take the shoes off your feet. You're on holy ground. Before you take one step, Moses, to go to Egypt to deliver Israel, you've got to take the shoes off your feet. Do you know why we don't see a, a sustained move of God? Because we put our shoes back on our feet. The minute God begins to move, we think we have to assume responsibility for that instead of continuing to live in a posture of awe and reverence and respect for the deep, moving, abiding presence of God. We think it's about us. It's not about us. It's all about him. Who is the king of glory? It's not me. It's not you. It's him. And that's what happens. It's not sustained because man thinks we have to put our shoes back on our feet and do something. We just have to be in his presence. What do I, what do, I do? What do I do? You know, he even asked the angel of the Lord of hosts, Joshua says, whose side are you on? And it angered the captain of the Lord of hosts. He said, you don't understand. I'm not on your side or their side. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. I've been sent by God. And here's the message. Before you take one step into the promised land, take the shoes off your feet because you're on holy ground. And know you not that you, what are you? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is holy ground. Who lives inside of us? The Holy Spirit. Am, am I getting too personal? But we don't live and act and talk like this is holy ground. Huh. Are you still tracking with me? The third one was Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Here's what real prophets look like when they encounter the presence of God. I saw the Lord, Isaiah 6, 1. I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train. His presence filled the temple. It said in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, which this is an interesting sidebar fact, Uzziah had leprosy in the forehead. He had leprosy in the forehead. And if you want to hear a little type and shadow, that's the carnal mind. So in the year the carnal mind dies, that's when we see the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple because the natural man can't see the things of the spirit. Only the man of the spirit can see the things of the spirit. So King Uzziah has to die. Are, are you with me? 
And I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. And, and, and what happens to Isaiah when he's exposed to this? Isaiah falls down on his face. And he says, woe is me. Now, if you read chapter 5, he's been woeing everybody else. Read the fifth chapter of Isaiah. It's woe, 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 woe. He's been woeing everybody else. He had the ministry of woe, woe, woe. And then he gets in the presence of God and, and the fear of God overwhelms him. The all of God, the presence of God. Amen. The lordship of Jesus that's not yet come into the earth is present in, in God the Father. And he falls on his face and he says, woe is me. For I am a man undone and of unclean lips. In other words, everything I've spoken up to this point, <laughs> it, it's, it's not been from a posture of the fear of the Lord or holiness. And then the Lord does this work in him. He, he takes a coal off the altar. He touches his lips. And that's when the Lord says, who shall I send? And Isaiah, now understanding the fear of God, says, here am I. Send me. Amen. Oh, we, we send out far too many people that don't know the fear of the Lord. Yeah. And they put their shoes back on their feet to try to lead a people out of bondage. And they put their shoes back on their feet to try to lead a people into the promised land. And they put their shoes back on their feet to walk out of the temple of God. Oh, Lord, help us to leave the shoes off our feet. And the only thing that we have is the shoes of the gospel of the preparation of mm. peace. Hallelujah. Are you, are you hearing me? Is, is this helping you? Well, let's go to Malachi. This is a, a verse I ran across a year ago. And I shared it with Austin this week. He sent me a little text about what the Lord was dealing with him. And that morning, which happens to be, I think, two days ago, I said, well, this morning I was in Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And here's what the Lord was talking to me about. We've talked about a life that looks fruitful in the fear of the Lord. We've talked about encountering the fear of the Lord. Now we're going to talk about living every day under the influence of the fear of the Lord. Then those, Malachi 3, 16, 17. I'm reading out of the ESV. Yours may read slightly different. Um, the King James uses the word often here, so I'm borrowing this from the King James. Malachi 3.16, then those who feared the Lord. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, in case some of you are having a hard time finding it. Go to Matthew and turn left. Those who feared, those who feared the Lord, what did they do? Spoke often with one another. Now, I came on the campus on the grounds here this evening, and there was just this divine jealousy because I live an hour and a half from here. It was this divine jealousy because the conversations I was hearing was people who fear God speaking often to one another. Amen. Let that be what we initially talked about. Let that be, let that be the depth and the weight the, the breadth, the height of our conversation, those who fear the Lord spoke often with one another. And notice this next statement. 
because they feared him. They were all of him, deep reverence of him, holy regard for him, holy respect for him. They acknowledged the absolute lordship of Jesus. They feared the Lord. They spoke often with one another. And what did the Lord do? He paid attention. Does that blow anybody's mind but mine? I mean, it don't take much to blow mine. But that blows my mind that this conversation catches the ear of God. Now, there's a lot of conversations I have. I hope he's not listening. How many of you have some repentive conversations that you've needed? In fact, probably a couple today. Before you got here, you probably think, oh, I hope he didn't remember that conversation. He remembered. Listen, he paid attention and heard. And notice this next statement. Mark this, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and thought upon and esteemed his name. Not only, not only did he pay attention to hear, he wrote their names and the topic of their conversation about his fear and who he was in a book. There's only two times in the scriptures that I can find. I stand to be corrected if it's wrong. There's only two times where I see where the Lord holds something. It's the vial of prayer. It's the vial full of prayers of the saints in the book of Revelation. And it's this book of remembrance, this book of remembrance of those who have conversations regarding the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So as we, as we dialogue during the day about the Lord, and we talk about his greatness and his goodness and his glory and his great works with one another. He's listening. And then he's, I mean, is that, that's weighty to me. That's just weighty stuff to know the Lord is recording this. Hey, Austin, Steve was on the phone the other day. Man, you, let me show you what they were talking about. They spend an hour and a half. Yeah, we do. When we get on, he knows. That's why he don't ever return my call immediately. Because he knows once we get on the phone, we're on there for a while. <laughs> Captive audience, I've got him. If he says I got to go, well, wait a minute. I got one more thing. I'll let you go after this. We, we kind of do. Is that not true, brother? I'm, I'm confessing my faults one to another. Look what they talked about. Man, they talked about the fear of the Lord. They talked about my goodness, my greatness, my glory. Hallelujah. A book of remembrance was written. Amen. Anybody want to say amen to that? Hallelujah. That's just astonishing to me that he wants to hear us talk about him. It's not because he's a narcissistic God. It's because he's an awesome God. It's because he's a good God and he's a loving God and he's a caring God and he's a comforting God and he's a chastening God. It's because he loves us and he wants to hear his children talk about him. Amen. I had my, my oldest daughter just was in. We had all three of the girls together. We went on a hiking trip. And there's nothing I enjoy more than hearing them say positive things about me and their mother. Especially about me. <laughs> just think how much our Heavenly Father enjoys, enjoys hearing his children. And how much Jesus enjoys hearing us talk about what he's done, his finished work, his work in our life on a daily basis. And yet we spend most of our time talking about ourselves. 
Do we not? Our prayers are filled with self. Our conversation is filled with self. Our day is filled with self. We've got our idols we bow down to. And then we scratch our head and wonder why God's not moving. Well, he is moving. But you're still standing in front of your idol. You're still talking about yourself. His government is increasing. His power is increasing. His kingdom's always moving. He's a kingdom of movement. Amen. It's we who get stuck. Again, I want to back up and say this. Quit. I know it's hard to do this because I still find myself wanting to do it. Quit looking for yourself every time you read the scriptures. Be intentional about looking for him. Mm. Amen. Be intentional about that. I don't care where you read. I know we all go through things. Listen, there's, I've had a rough week. We've, we've had things going on. i got my father's been diagnosed with cancer. One of my close friends is in the hospital. Uh, he's going to be in there for several days. Uh, you, we all have things going on. The Lord does not discount that. He doesn't want to dismiss that. He wants us to pray over those things. But he wants the object of our attention not to be that, but the greatness of the one who covers that. Amen. The greatness of the one who covers the circumstance and who covers the situation. His absolute lordship. His lordship is absolute. Amen. Even in the midst of the mess, his, his lordship is absolute. Then those who feared the Lord spoke often, spoke often, spoke often. We, we taught last time Jesus did what? He prayed often. Well, here's a good point. If you pray often, you'll have someone to talk, something to talk about. So then you can speak often. They spoke often with one another. Listen, it's important to have community. I'm going to stop here. This little sidebar. It's important to have community, but you need to have community over the right thing. Amen. We have a short time in this world, a short span of life. And it's important that in community that God gives us, whether it's in the context here at Charleston, in a church we're in, in other people we have friendships with, we have a short span of life on this earth that's allotted to us, which we're going to read in a moment, that's allotted to us. We need to make sure we take full advantage that our conversations is filled with the purpose of God's kingdom and not all the other garbage of life. And everybody said amen. That was a good point, place right there. It was a good place to say amen. And listen, I, I get it. I get it. Life's full and it has messy stuff in it. And then I read Psalms 24. Amen. I read Isaiah 66. Hallelujah. I read Revelation. And then it doesn't matter. Because his lordship is absolute. Hallelujah. Amen. They spoke often. The Lord paid attention. Do you want God paying attention to your conversations? I want God. I can't get my teenage, teenage grandchildren to pay attention to my conversations, but I do want God to pay attention to my conversations. He heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord, thought on him, esteemed his name, and they shall be mine. Who shall be his? Those who fear the Lord and speak often with one another. Says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? They will be my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. That's how much he values 
these people who fear him and speak often with one another. Amen. Let's just read Psalms 24. I'm going to cover six verses. Can I have just a few more minutes? Oh, I've got way too much. I've got more than a few minutes, but I'm just going to take a few minutes. Uh, Psalms, Psalms 24, we're going to read one through six, because I want to show you some things that have to be present at work in our lives, present at work in our lives for the fear of the Lord. Again, we, we shared this initially. We can't just give you a definition for the fear of the Lord, and here's why, because then we would try to put steps with it. That's why there's just some undefinable things like the love of God. You can't define the love of God. You can talk about eros and filio and agape and do all that and give these nice little charts and everything that goes with it. But the truth is you can't define the love of God. You can only experience the love of God. And you can only express the love of God. And you only can give the love of God and look at the cross and view the love of God. But you can't explain the love of God. Amen. Because the more you try to explain the love of God, how do you explain John 3.16? You have to experience John 3.16. Well, that's the same way with the fear of the Lord. We can't define it because then we would put all these laws and rules on ourselves to try to make sure we're living in the fear of the Lord, in the holiness of God. Amen. We would fall back under legalism. Amen. Would that not be the case? And God wants to free us from that and just live, just live. In the fear of the Lord. Amen. So here the, here's the first thing that has to be present to live a life like this. You have to understand that the earth is the Lord's. <laughs> if you want to live this life, you have to understand the earth is the Lord's. Doesn't belong to man. Doesn't belong to you. Belongs to him. His earth. Hallelujah. Amen. And not only is the earth his, but everything in it. Everything. Hallelujah. Every bird, every animal, every tree, every person, everything belongs to him. Doesn't belong to Satan. Amen. Doesn't belong to the United States of America. Doesn't belong to China. Belongs to him. Are you, are you tracking with me? And not only that, if case we didn't understand that, the psalmist wants us to understand this. Not only is the earth as the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but the world. The world. Everything. Everything that defines the world and those that dwell in it. Amen. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. We're going to read three, four, five, and six and come back and talk about three. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Now what he's, what he's defining here, he's not defining the hill of the Lord as a specific location. He's just referencing the presence of God in the earth. Yeah. Who's going to ascend into the presence of the Lord in the earth, which is his, in the world, which is his, who will come into his presence and who will stand in his presence in his holy place? He who has a, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to vanity, or in other words, does not live in pride and who does not swear or feed himself deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation and here, this is an important verse. Verse 6 is a very important verse. And I say this, I love you, but I need to say this. He does not anywhere in Scripture simply define a particular group of people as that generation. The generation he defines are those that seek him. Amen. Regardless of gender, color, creed, age, it's those who seek him. That's his generation. 
Who's this the generation of the Lord? Those who seek him. Amen. Psalms 1, Psalms 19, Psalms 119, always embedded in there. Seek the face. Psalms 27, he, you said, seek your face. Your face will I seek. Amen. So here's the generation of the Lord, those who seek him. But this generation is founded in what's above this, above this verse. Clean hands, pure heart, no pride, not feeding themselves deceitfully. Then he closes this sixth verse before he goes down and finishes the chapter. He says, Selah. This was a musical psalm. The word Selah meant the music was suspended. How many of you ever heard music suspended and you knew, you knew the weight was coming? Amen. Whether it was brass, whether it was woodwind, but mostly it's probably drums. And you, there, there's just this pause. And you know just any minute you're going to hear the thunder roar. That's what this is meant to do. There's this pause because you're meant to feel the weight of what was just said in a person who would live in the fear of God. And that weight is this. Because after this, he talks about the king of glory. The king of glory can't come in until there's a people to come in to. And that's what he deals with prior to that. Who, who shall come in? Who shall enter through these gates? Well, the king of glory. But he's waiting on these people who've ascended the hill and stand in his presence with clean hands, a pure heart, and without pride. Hallelujah. And not living in deceit. So let's just, let's just briefly, let me just give this briefly and uh, talk about purity. Let me, go, let me go one verse. Let me give you one verse. Psalms 24 and 4 talks about how should we live. So Ephesians 5, 26, this is what I want to talk about. How do we get clean hands? We're going to talk about clean hands, pure heart, humility, and not feeding with deceit. How do we get clean hands? Ephesians 5, 26. What does Ephesians 5, 26 says? He cleanses his church by the washing of the water of the word. So how do our hands get clean? How does our heart get clean? By the word. John 15, 3, he said to the disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So it's the word that cleans us. Spend time in the word and the word cleans you. It purifies you. How many of you, when you spend time in the word, you feel that cleansing take place? Some of you just need a good cry. I'm, I'm telling you, just a, there's something about a good cry. I mean, you need one of those snot balling all over the place. Wipe your sleeve. You need one of those cries. How many of you, after that, it's just like, I don't know what happened, but I was reading the word, and man, I used a box. Of, and look, I, you're going to have to wash this thing. But something's clean. Because you've given everything that's inside of you to him. And you've let the word convict you and challenge you and clean you. Let's talk about a pure heart. How do we get a pure heart? Well, we, we, need, a, we need a purity partner. We need, no, let me, let, me give you some, let me give you some Bible. Let me give you some Bible. In fact, the purity partner is probably more impure than you are. They probably need a purity partner to watch the purity partner. Who's watching the purity partner? Psalms 119.9, how can a young man or woman keep their way pure? It's simple. By guarding their path, their way, their walk with the word. When you, when you start finding yourself moving away from the fear of the Lord and the holiness of God, wander back into the word. 
When somebody calls you up and they want to drag you into some deep counseling session, take them to the Word. You'll find out your counseling sessions will get shorter and shorter. Amen. Because people want to moan about their mess. And they want somebody to agree with their mess. I do. When I'm in a mess, I don't want you quoting me scripture. I want you to let me cry on your shoulder. And I want you to say, it'll be all right. So we guard it according to the word. 1 Peter 1.22. Having purified yourselves, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Well, what's truth? John 17, 17, sanctify and purify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Psalms 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. How, so how do we keep our way pure? Through the word. Amen. And then humility. This verse talks about not giving yourself to vanity, pride. And that's the thing we all wrestle with. I'm a prideful man. I'm an affirmation junkie. Any affirmation junkies here? Yeah, you like to be told, hey, you did. That was a great message, man. I mean, Paul couldn't have done it better than that. <laughs> and Paul would have said, yeah, I wouldn't have done some of the stuff you did. But, I mean, all of us want accolades. And, and that's a natural part of our life. And we should, listen, honor should be given when honors do. We should encourage and praise and edify and strengthen and encourage one another when we're doing something. But there also has to be this thing that we guard where pride, because if pride is what's governing us, we move outside the fear of the Lord. Amen. And so Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? Mm. And what is the place of my rest? It connects with Psalms 24. Who will ascend yeah. to the hill of the Lord? And then he said, all these things have my, my hand have made. He's reminding them. Last chapter of Isaiah, he's reminding them. All these things my hand have made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord, because of me. But here's the one I will look. He or she who is humble and broken mm -hmm. in spirit wow. and who trembles at my word, the fear of the Lord. Who is the Lord looking to? Those who fear him. Amen. And then... Don't, this, this passage here in Psalms 24, it says, and does not swear, or it means to feed oneself deceitfully. James picks up and talks about being self-deceived. He said, if you're a hearer of the word and, and not a doer of the word, if you're a hearer only and not a doer of the word also, you deceive yourself. I believe we, we have a lot of self-deceived people. Mm. And we feed ourselves. And you'll believe your own press after a while that you're really okay when there's this deep work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing how we can find things to avoid being convicted and dealt with by the Spirit of the Lord? Don't allow yourself to feed yourself with deceit. And the answer to that's Luke 9, 23. He said to all, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. And I wrote this down. I want you to hear it. Let me die of my need to be someone important. And let me die of my need to leave a mark. Amen. Let me die of that need. Hallelujah. Andrew Peterson wrote this, Over the gateway of self is a sign that reads, Abandon all hope, all who enter. It is a hellish and helpless place to die to self and live to God. Amen. True? But that's where the fear of the Lord is. Huh. That day when John 
stood in the river and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see the fear of God demonstrated in one of his next statements. I must decrease and he must increase. The fear of the Lord. Amen.